0: Hello and welcome to today's podcast. I'm Doris Nagel, CEO of Globalocity. We're consultants helping companies successfully improve their indirect distribution channel sales results. We bring a combined nearly 100 years hands-on experience helping with market entry, legal and compliance issues, and strategic selection and management of distributors, sales agents, OEMs, wholesalers, and other indirect distribution channels. Today we are delighted to have with us Alejandro Infante as our guest to give his, his perspective about some of the financial considerations in managing distributors and particularly distributors in foreign markets. Alejandro is in a unique position to talk about some of these issues since he has over 30 years experience in healthcare channel management, both from the supplier and distributor perspectives. He's the former president of International with Hill-Rom and before that had several positions with Hospira, including President of the Americas, Vice President and General Manager of International Commercial Operations, and Regional Director for Latin America. Before joining Hospira at the time of the spin-off from Abbott Laboratories, Alejandro also held numerous management roles within Abbott, including general manager in Mexico and Poland. Then in 2015, he founded Procursum Medical with the vision of becoming the first supplier of medical devices, services, and operational solutions with regional coverage in Latin America. He holds a degree in industrial engineering and a marketing diploma from the Universidad Iberoamericana in Mexico City, and he's a native of Mexico, but now living in Miami and enjoys cooking with a glass of wine in the company of friends and family. Alejandro, thank you so much for being with us today.
1: Thank you for the invitation, Doris. I really appreciate the opportunity to share some of my thoughts on indirect channel management.
0: Great. Well, I think maybe um, an interesting place or maybe a natural place to start is with the rationale for using distributors in the first place. You know, my my experience, and I'm sure you've seen it too, is that when it comes to indirect sales channels, for many companies, suppliers at least, they're an afterthought. What I call the proverbial redheaded stepchild. In many supplier companies, the direct sales is really, you know, the sales is king, they say, and the direct sales force gets lots of focus, big conferences, award trips, and the, you know, the distributor managers, not so much sometimes. Have you seen that as well over your career?
1: Sure, I have, and I think this is really interesting because in my experience, the indirect channel can be one of the most profitable channels for a business, and there are many markets, there are many circumstances where it may make a lot of sense to use an indirect channel not only in foreign countries, but even in certain segments of a large country, like in the U.S., in certain segments, certain geographic areas, certain markets. So when the conditions are right to use an indirect channel, it is highly profitable. And companies should pay attention to that, should nurture those indirect channels, and certainly treat them as part of their own sales force. Because at the end, that's what they are. They're part of their own sales force. And they deserve the same attention and the same consideration as the direct sales force.
0: You mentioned that when conditions are right, what do you think some of the best reasons are to use distributors instead of direct salespeople? Okay.
1: One of the most evident reasons is whenever you're playing in a market that doesn't have enough size to justify a Mm -hmm. direct sales force, and that pretty much depends on company by company what that size is, But there are many attractive markets where the financials would just not add up to hire you on Salesforce, so that's one reason why you may want to have an indirect uh, channel. The other reason may be because you don't have a complete portfolio of products or solutions for the end customers, and your distributor or your indirect channel may actually have a complete solution that may make it more competitive and you know your products may be better positioned as part of a full portfolio. One more reason may be because in some segments, distributors may be highly specialized and they may have a sales force that is you know, highly trained in certain niche areas where it would be very expensive or it would be a distraction to train your sales force so there may be various reasons why it may make sense to use an indirect sales channel and all of them you know can be opportunities to increase your sales and profitability absolutely
0: you know you mentioned that indirect sales channels are often very profitable It occurs to me, at least, and it's certainly been my experience, that sometimes suppliers forget about all of the different costs that they've offloaded to a distributor. What are some of those costs that that, that suppliers don't always think about that, that distributors do for them?
1: Let me focus my example on distributors in other countries because that's, I mean, That's a very comprehensive example of how much cost is burdened on the distributor's shoulder. To begin with, most distributors will bear the cost to transport the product into the market. I mean, all the logistic, operation, freight, and distribution to transport the uh, product into the market. Ah,
0: And duties sometimes, too, which can be pretty substantial.
1: Pay duties. Pay customs agents, um, honorarium, warehousing cost associated with that process, then warehouse and distribution cost uh, for the product once customs are cleared. There are often regulatory costs that the distributor also has to has to bear, such as the cost of paying for registrations, the cost of paying for various licenses that are needed in order to operate in certain markets. Uh, of course, the the cost of the sales force, you know, which can be substantial in many markets. There are significant social costs or fringe benefits that need to be paid to the sales force on top of salary and commissions, which may be not common in markets like in the U.S., and a lot of people may be surprised on, you know, how much has to be paid for, you know, payroll tax, social security contributions.
0: Pensions, uh, yeah. Pension, yeah,
1: pension and all of that. So, you know, healthcare, of course. Uh, so there are many other costs associated with with that. And, of course, the costs associated with running the business all so the G&A costs associated with running the right. business. So basically when you're looking at that, the distributor is bearing you know a lot of cost, which you know on the supplier side is being offset by providing a reasonable gross margin to the distributor, probably no, all, even with the disc- discounts that you're providing to your distributor so they can have a reasonable gross margin. Since you as a supplier don't have to incur all this cost, yeah. when you look at your P&Ls, they turn out to be very profitable. Maybe not in absolute dollars because they tend to be smaller markets, but when you look at their profile, gosh, you know, it makes a lot of sense in many markets.
0: Yeah. I was just talking to a finance colleague who was saying that there are two huge pieces of cost that get transferred to distributors that oftentimes suppliers don't think about, which is that, that salespeople often are large consumers of human resources support, and you alluded to that not only with benefits, but just just the day-to-day human resource management and the IT cost because uh direct sales force is often works out of their home, are spread out, and they have a lot of IT support costs that are needed, and a supplier never has to incur that when they use a a distributor, for example. The distributor incurs all those costs.
1: Yeah, that that is right. You will find many distributors that are very sophisticated. They have sophisticated CRM systems to manage their sales force and their customer relationships. They also have sophisticated performance management systems. You know, staff that is doing all the, you know, talent management, you know, hiring and uh, developing a superior sales force. So, mm-hmm. don't think of the distributors as unsophisticated, rudimentary businesses. Some of them are very sophisticated. And of course, there is a cost that is associated with that. And we as suppliers tend to forget about that and tend to have sometimes unrealistic expectations as to what the distributor can do with the discounts and the gross margin that we believe are appropriate to them and their market.
0: Yeah. so. What are your suggestions? What are some things channel or distribution managers can do to help educate their management about all the costs that are moved to the distributor and the value that distributors provide? It, it seems to me a lot of times the channel manager understands that, but the his, his or her management team doesn't always understand all of that. What can they do to help them understand the value of the channels?
1: Yeah, drag them to an airplane and, you know, get them to travel to the country Uh. or to the market where the distributors operating and spend a little time not only talking to the distributor, but also talking to their sales force and, of course, talking to customers in those markets. That is the best way to have management understand what distributors do. And it is really an eye-opening experience for a lot of senior management folks. Yeah,
0: that's good advice, I think. Let's switch topics a little bit. So suppliers always want distributors that are focused on their products and services. And a complaint I hear a lot from clients and prospective clients is that they're frustrated that their distributors don't focus more on their products. In other words, how how do I keep my distributors' attention and focused on my products? What are some of the most common reasons in your experience that distributors lose focus or interest on a particular supplier?
1: Um, I think it all starts with the selection of the distributor.
0: Yeah, I agree. Yeah,
1: it all, you know, it all starts with understanding what are their capabilities, their core competencies, the rest of their portfolio, and how does your product fit within their portfolio. You also need to understand how you know, how they are structured. Do they have a go-to-market strategy that is basically a kind of a segment public versus private segment uh, strategy? Do they organize themselves by business units? Uh, Are those business units organized by therapeutic area? Are they organized by supplier? Uh, So you need to understand before engaging with a distributor how they go to market and how your product fits within their portfolio. And then, of course, you have to make sure that first your product is solving a need within their portfolio. is going to help them be successful as as a company within their portfolio. So that's number one. Number two, you need to make sure that also the financials you know, work that they well, have For
0: the distributor, on, you mean?
1: Yes, yeah, and of course for you. you. You always have to take that in mind. But you have to make sure that the gross margin is adequate for the distributor, that the incentives for the distributor are in place to to, to grow your business, and Perhaps most importantly, you need to be close to the distributor. You need to be responsive when they have a need, when they have a technical question, when they have a regulatory question, when they need to your support to participate in a tender, or you know, sometimes when they're just screaming for attention from the supplier and the supplier is pretty busy somewhere else. Uh, not paying attention to the distributor needs. So the best way to ensure focus for your products is that. You know, is just you you have to be close to your distributor, as I'm sure many channel managers are going to agree with me. Uh, That's the best way. You
0: know, in one of our prior discussions, you mentioned that there are also risks, though, with distributors who are too focused on your products. Can you talk about that just a little bit?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think this is uh, this is a common, common misunderstanding or mistake that some people make when they are either choosing a distributor or, you know, when they have to consider whether to change or not their distributor. Sometimes they think, you know, it is great that the, my distributor is so focused on my product, you know, 90% of their business comes from my product, they're always going to be paying attention, they're well trained, you know, they're on top of things, what have you. And of course they are because their their livelihood depends on your business. However, when you take that situation you have to be cognizant that whatever risk the distributor is taking is also your risk. Mm, um, right. A lot of people yeah a lot of people think that You know, I'm going to use a distributor because my finance manager doesn't like loan payment terms. So, you know, life is good because my distributor is going to pay me in 60 days and, you know, they're going to collect, you know, from the government in um, 180 days. Yeah,
0: in, yeah that, then, that's, you know, a, that's the proverbial <laughs> bump under the rug that just gets pushed around. I mean, it's a cost of business and somebody has to incur it, right?
1: Right, correct. So where is that going to come from? So, you know, even, even assuming that, you know, your distributor, you know, has the, the right working capital to make things work, eventually, if they become on, unsolvent, what is going to happen? They're, I mean, they're not going to pay you. And they have no other source of income than selling your product. So then very often you see these situations when channel managers come to their senior management and they ask for either extended payment terms or relief from applying the credit policy to their distributors uh, so they can hopefully one day get paid. It's something like if we, if we stop supplying product to them, <laughs> then they're not going to make any money and they're not going to pay their past deals. And you know, this, this leads nowhere. This is a vicious circle. You know, nobody's going to win with this because this eventually is going to explode. And one of the reasons why this happened was precisely because that distributor didn't have any other source of income than right. your product. So you're kidding yourself right. if you don't think you are Course, sharing the market risk with the distributor when that happens.
0: Yeah, interesting. So, let's talk a little bit about the flip side of that. The distributors lost interest. They're not very interested. They've decided you're difficult to deal with, or your products aren't all that interesting to their customers, or maybe the product pricing is just not attractive. How easy is it to get your distributor? refocus back on you? And how? in other words, how do you determine whether or not you can get them focused back appropriately or whether they're frankly just a distributor you may need to replace or just be content that they're just going to, you know, be what they are and occasionally order from you but not be much more?
1: I think there's no easy answer to this question. Uh, And certainly there is not more one size fits all answer uh, you need to spend a lot of time with them need to understand what their concerns are. Uh, need to understand if you are the problem as a supplier because either your product is too difficult to sell, too expensive you don 't you are not um, supporting your distributor in a vari- in a variety of ways or is this a problem that is relevant to the distributor and, basically, most suppliers – it is seldom every supplier, but most suppliers are going through the same problem with the distributor. Uh, and that will give you a clue whether you, know, you have to set up an action plan where it is on your side to improve things and give it a try with the distributor, or you know are you looking at a, at a distributor that is actually underperforming for most suppliers? and you are better off, you know, going somewhere else, but there's no easy answer. Um, once this situation happens, you are certainly going to lose money, market share. You could leave maybe some uh, some account receivables some on the yeah. table, um, some damage in, you know, inventory. You have to do everything that is in your power to prevent you from reaching this situation. Yeah, I agree. In the first place.
0: Yeah let's change topics again. I know you've spent a lot of time in Latin America, but also some time obviously in poland and in both Eastern Europe and Latin America, the issue of distributor corruption is uh, and payments under the table are a significant risk in both of those regions and uh Although I think there are probably some companies out there that still think that they don't have to worry about this issue because the distributor is a third party. Most companies today with distributors recognize that the distributor, at least for for government anti-corruption programs, is viewed as an extension of the supplier. So let's just talk about the corruption issue. How, How common is it really, do you think?
1: I think, unfortunately, in many markets, it is, it is more common. We may think, and it is a very local practice. Suppliers can be oblivious to it. I mean, you can. I mean, you have to be a little naive, of course, but you can travel to the country <laughs> many times and, you know, not not realize what is going on. Though many times there are. A lot of clues in front of you that tells you that something is, is going on. So um, first of all, I think to your comment about some uh, companies or some suppliers uh, thinking that they are protected because they're using a distributor, you would be surprised, or people would be surprised how many suppliers or how many people within the suppliers organization still believe that, and i 've heard it many, many times things like you know what we don 't sell directly, we sell everything to distributors, and then they use sub distributors we don 't know what they 're doing and oh well uh, we don 't want, want to know
0: <laughs> don 't ask uh, don 't tell
1: don't ask don 't tell and, <laughs> and of course that is that is not an appropriate stance when you're um, going through a deposition with the Justice Department or the SEC, of course, for violations of the FCPA, uh, you are co-responsible for everything your agents, representatives, or distributors are doing in any of these markets.
0: Yeah, you know, there was just another case last year, 2016, with a a company called Analogic that got themselves in deep trouble because of corruption and payments that the distributor was making and discounts and other kinds of payments that they had agreed to make to the distributor in exchange for those kinds of things. So it, it definitely is out there. People need to understand there is a risk.
1: Yeah, and, and you have to be looking all the time for the red flags.
0: You know, so so what your- are some of those red flags? I mean, what, yeah. what are the kinds of things people should be looking for?
1: Things like, is your distributor asking you for very high discounts? I mean, we spoke before about uh, having a reasonable gross margin, uh, and this varies market by market, so I cannot tell you what a reasonable gross margin is for a distributor. You know, it, of course, depends on how much is the sales effort, for, the working capital cycle, there are many, many factors to take into consideration to determine what an appropriate gross margin is, but if you smell that your distributor is asking you for unusually high discounts, then that is a red flag. Another red flag is when a distributor may come and tell you that they can get a business if they use a certain agent or if they hire a certain consultant mm. uh, or they can introduce you to a third party who can arrange uh, a meeting with a government official in, um, <laughs> for a fee, of course. Uh, so those kind of things are always uh, red flags with, when dealing with possible corruption issues. The, the other thing you have to look at is who are they selling to? Do they claim that they sell exclusively because they have a very good relationship with a certain procurement officer? I mean, There, there may be a lot of clues, and you have to, you have to be watchful and alert for, for all of those. And when your distribution contract stipulates that you have the right to audit your distributor for any of the reasons, don't be shy. Do so. You have the right, you know, that that's in your contract, and, you know, a lot of clauses in contracts end up being,
0: yeah. Just words. Not
1: just words. Yeah. Just, just dead words, right? But this, yeah, yeah you know, which is a topic for a different conversation.
0: It is. Yes, indeed.
1: Yeah. But, this, but this one is, you know, if you have the right to audit, you know, by all means, audit them, and if they agree up front to the audit because they're used to it and their suppliers do the same. then you know, that gives you a certain level of confidence. If they flat out refuse to be audited and almost refuse to let you in, you have another red flag. That's something may may be going on. And um, you will not know unless you dig into it, travel with their sales force to uh, talk to a lot of their sales people. People talk and, you know, if you talk to them, (laughs) they'll tell you a lot of things. (laughs)
0: I don't think I can imagine. Um, so let's say you see you're a supplier or you're part of a distribution management team, and you suspect there may be a red flag or two. What What do you do? Short of asking for an audit, because that obviously requires money and time and budget to do. But you, how should you respond to some of those? What What do you do?
1: Well, one of the first things you have to do is. You have to have a, a frank open discussion with your distributor around you know their Fcpa obligations. You have to make sure that they understand it i mean it's not just because it's written in the contract that they understand it. You need to have a program where you periodically train your distributors in you know how to deal with Fcpa issues and you need to get them to commit to this. Something we did in my past life was you know, ask them to certify every year that they were compliant with uh, FCPA and anti-corruption regulations. You, know, you, you, you need to have a lot of these elements to prevent it from happening. And most importantly, if ever you are in trouble with the authorities, you need to be able to demonstrate that you have made every reasonable effort to prevent corruption and violations of the FCPA and that includes communication, certifications, yeah. contracts, training, discussions.
0: Yeah. It's, an, insur- you know, it's end- an insurance policy, basically, for yeah. suppliers.
1: Yeah, at the end you cannot prevent everything, but you have to demonstrate that you you are doing every reasonable thing to prevent it. And here, let me just make a a break to to have a commercial on Globadosity, because I think you guys would be a great resource for a lot of suppliers when it comes to, you know, assessing this risk and helping them set up some kind of program, given your legal background.
0: Well, thanks very much for that unsolicited plug, Alejandro. We certainly can help and have helped companies develop partner due diligence programs and specifically designed anti-corruption due diligence training and certification programs. We've also provided anti-corruption language in lots of distribution agreements we've helped clients negotiate. And we've actually been involved in due diligence of acquisitions, uh, looking at companies with distribution uh, channels and and vetting out their anti-corruption programs. You know, it's interesting, though, that many companies just aren't worried about FCPA or anti-corruption risks. Some just don't seem to believe there are any risks, or maybe they believe that there really isn't any corruption happening, or that the risks are too small to invest any time or money on, or they just assume FCA prosecution happens to someone else. Uh, They don't think about the fact that they could get caught or that someday they may want to sell their company or take it public. And not only will they have to do a bunch of rework, but if as part of the due diligence, the acquirer finds corruption, they're bound to report it to the government. In one of my previous lives, I was involved in the acquisition of a company and uh, they found corruption. They found corruption with some of the distributors in the Far East, and ended up uh, having to report it to the Justice Department, and the acquisition almost didn't happen, and it got totally renegotiated. One of the principals ended up in jail, and the price of the acquisition absolutely uh, went way down as a result of all the cleanup and remediation that needed to happen. So there's no doubt the risks really are real. I'm guessing you have a story or two of corruption that you've seen and without using names uh, to protect the innocent or not so innocent, any war stories you're willing to share with us or, or examples of how this has come up?
1: Sure. People tell you stories, you know, such as we pay a third party for consulting services and that third party in turn, you know, delivers the money to the buyer. That is very common. And you know what? They think they're perfectly fine because they've gone through fiscal audits in their home countries and they're able to justify the disbursement because, you know, they have an invoice from a consulting company, you know, that reads consulting services in preparation of such and such. Mm -hmm. But where's the money going? I mean, those, by the way, are red flags. Whenever you see distributors paying for those kind of services and... And a lot of people, even some distributors believe that they're they're perfecting compliance because they are not paying themselves right. to to the buyer they're using an the intermediary so right. uh, you know I found this uh, to be pretty prevalent and and some other people are you know are getting even more creative with their accounting so they can create you know they can have even double accounting separate set of books they get the money from somewhere else <laughs> you know all kind of horror stories. So yeah. Yeah, you have to be yeah. pretty close to them. and uh,
0: Ask a lot of questions. A lot of these,
1: ask a lot like. of questions. Be close to them. And a lot of these also can be avoided at the time of selecting your partner. You just got to make sure that you're selecting a reputable partner. Yeah, interesting.
0: Well, you alluded to where you're at now in your career, which is with ProCursum. Tell us a little bit about that initiative and why you decided to go in that direction after spending a lot of years in the in the uh, the big corporate world.
1: Sure, you know after spending a lot of years in the corporate world, particularly in the medical device world, I I found what everybody sees that is, it is very difficult to find reputable partners in every country and it is very difficult to have the resources to manage them properly in, oh. in every country. They take time and resources to, to, to be uh, managed and it's difficult to find them. So, you know, I realized there was an opportunity for a, for a distributor that could actually cover several countries and be managed in a professional way just like a multinational business, uh, would be managed and act as a single point of contact for suppliers who either want to enter a region or who are not happy with their current partners in the region. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's a difference between this business model and the very outdated business model of a master distributor a master distributor used to promise you the same
0: mm-hmm. you know
1: I'll, I'll deal with all the distributors and you don't have to deal with anybody else except me except mm-hmm. that the master distributor normally had no resources of its own and it was only kind of a pass-through entity and instead of giving you transparency as to what was going into <laughs> the market it just added another layer of you know of uh, secrecy put it that way into
0: what and cost about. obviously too and cost
1: yeah and cost an additional margin so this is not the same this is this is a distributor that actually has a direct presence you know a subsidiary in major markets And this is an opportunity because there is no other distributor, particularly in Latin America, that can focus on this. So I decided, uh, along with a partner, to go and found Procursum, and, you know, we are in the middle of setting this up. You know, such operation can only be set up through acquisitions, so we're having conversations with multiple distributors in various countries, but only with distributors that have a living presence, a premium portfolio of products, great commercial and ethical reputation, national coverage in in their own countries, uh, a, a professional management structure. And the idea is to roll them up into a single entity and play that role. Then when suppliers want to either enter the region or optimize their presence in the region, They don't need to go to multiple partners and find multiple partners. They have it all in one site.
0: Right, you would be the the natural choice. So now you are far more in tune with the distributor's perspective on things since you've been you talk to lots of distributors, meet with them, have deep discussions with some of them. Based on that experience, what do you? And your distributor partners now that you're talking to, what, what, what do they look for in a good supplier?
1: This is really interesting because just as suppliers believe with reason that there are good and bad distributors, uh, distributors also believe with reason that there are good and bad suppliers.
0: Well, that's but, probably right. That only makes sense. It takes two, yeah. two companies to make a partnership, right? It,
1: it, it takes two to tango.
0: <laughs> exactly.
1: Yeah. yeah, and you know it's it's difficult to tell, you know, there are some there are some very reputable companies, I'm not going to tell you names, global, multinational companies, multi-billion dollar operations that use distributors in many markets, who are so demanding of the distributor in the sense of resources, information, you know, use of certain tools and systems, what have you, that, you know, they they place an enormous burden on distributors and sometimes to the point of crushing the distributor with their demands and they don't realize it because they are very large global Globally recognized company and they are placing mm-hmm. unreasonable demands on the distributors and you know this is an example of a of a supplier that may be highly desirable to have in your portfolio because of the reputation of its brands. However, before you take responsibility for one of those uh, suppliers to distribute one of those suppliers products, you have to make sure that you have the resources to to comply with everything that the suppliers are demanding. So that's one example of a difficult, good, but difficult supplier. And then you have other suppliers who are totally unreasonable, who want you to take an unreasonable amount of inventory at the end of every quarter, who want to continue push, <laughs> you know, again, topic for another day, because there's a lot to talk about that. And by the way, a lot of that has to do with, uh, you know, you, you suppliers can be incurring in SEC violations and a number of other uh, <laughs> yeah.
0: violations. I was thinking that, that too.
1: Yeah. Uh, so there are suppliers that want you to take enormous amount of inventory at the end of every uh, every quarter. Um, they want you to be very aggressive, very aggressive in some government tenders, even when they know they may be pushing the distributor into. Um, Shady practices, and they don't care. Mm, uh, so yeah, they, you know, you, you also distributors also have to be uh, watchful for that. And suppliers, guess what? They also have a reputation and distributor stock. You know, they 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 talk to each other, and you know, they know who are the good suppliers and the bad suppliers as well. It is it is very very interesting to see the dynamics from both sides of the table. Yeah.
0: Yeah, well, certainly in healthcare, it's an increasingly small world with all the uh, mergers and acquisitions going on. It was small before, but I think it's getting even smaller these days. So, looking back over your career as a supplier, and now that you you've seen the distributor's perspective even more clearly, are there things you would have done differently? Looking back in your time as a as a distributor manager,
1: I have made many mistakes in my life, you know some of them in dealing with distributors involve getting into legal disputes with distributors that could potentially have been resolved in a more amicable man manner i mean i I've been in disputes with members of royal family in the middle east that's, that's not good. Uh-huh. <laughs>
0: That's a losing Uh, proposition usually. um,
1: It's an interesting proposition. You know, I have made also other mistakes of, you know, switching distributors hastily without first understanding what was the reason for underperformance. Uh Uh, And this one I have not made, but I have seen several times. You know, a big mistake is to believe that because you are the supplier, you can do a better job than the distributor. And you know trying to replace the distributor with your own sales force you know and expecting that you are not going to lose any customer or market knowledge that is wishful thinking and you know i've seen a lot of uh, a lot of companies actually lose money, lose market share, and eventually going back to the distributor model when they realize that they can do it on their own so, so yeah I, you know I've made a lot of mistakes i 've seen a lot of mistakes uh, I think the The bottom line would be know your market, make hard fact decisions, not emotional decisions, and uh, and also understand that you know you're dealing with people, and you know it you know it takes uh, like like I said before it takes you to tango. You have to make sure that you have a common approach to solve things together.
0: Right. So, any final thoughts for our listeners today?
1: Uh, well, it's been really a pleasure, Dory. Uh, thank you for allowing me to to share my thoughts. I wish you a lot of success with Globalocity, and I hope to have the opportunity to have this conversation again with you sometime in the future.
0: Great. Well, I wish you the same with ProCursum. It's obviously a very interesting and innovative idea, and likewise I wish you every success and want to thank you very much for being with us today and sharing your thoughts. So we'll hopefully talk to you again soon, and we'll watch the evolution of Procursum with lots of interest.
1: Thank you, Doris. And, and by the way, if any, anybody in the audience wants to contact me, uh, my email address is alejandro.infante at com. And uh, we'll be happy to take any questions, concerns, or business opportunities.
0: Terrific. All right. Well, that's a wrap for today. I hope our listeners have enjoyed our podcast about some of the financial aspects of managing distributors. You can listen to interviews with our many other guests by subscribing to our podcast on iTunes or at our website at www.globalocityservices.com. Thanks for listening.